0: focus tonight is that truth drives domestic life. The Word of God drives domestic life and domestic life, the life of the family in its home, is the place where sound doctrine lived out through reverent living and sensible thinking uh, matters the very most. So please stand and let's read Titus 2 verses 1 through 8 together. ...to see our passage in its context. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good... So that they may instruct the young women in sensibility, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. Likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be a model of good works in purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in word which is irreproachable, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Please be seated. So our text tonight is Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, and I'm skipping over verse 2, which is directed at the older men. We'll dive into that verse next week in part 2, together with verses 6 through 8, which speak to the young men. So Paul writes here in a a particular way, and I've wondered why Paul doesn't appear to urge the older men to instruct the young men. And why uh, do the young women uh, get seven areas of instruction and the young men only one? Well, I'm glad that my questions have been answered, and now I see that Paul did, in fact, instruct the older men to uh, teach the young men, and here's why. So Paul purposely writes here in what's called a chiastic structure, and that's a literary technique that presents a concept and then repeats it back in reverse order to unify and to emphasize and to amplify the point that's being made. So look at this slide. You see the structure here? So Paul leads in by addressing older men and then older women, and then young women and young men. But in this case, there is a center focus. There's a main point. So look at the second slide. The focus of verses 2 through 8 is in this command to instruct in verse 4. That's the main point. So the sense of this structure here is that older men are to instruct young men, just like the older women are to instruct young women. And, of course, that is the focus of what we're doing here at College and Young Adult Group. Discipleship. And so our text tonight, verses 3 through 5, is the center of this structure, and it focuses on older women instructing young women. And this text actually is unique in the Bible, because Paul is speaking sound doctrine right into the lives of young women in a very direct way that gets right down into the details of living as a woman in marriage and family. So four points for our uh, discussion tonight. First, older women are to be reverent. Second, older women are to instruct. Third, young women are to be sensible. And fourth, Proverbs 31. So please join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for that song that we just sang and for the assurance of salvation. That Christ has brought to us and I thank you for the day that you uh, crushed me and you turned me inside out and helped me to see who Christ was and what he has done and you forgave gave me my sins and I, I thank you tonight father for these young women here that I pray that you would encourage them and enlighten their hearts and minds and give them hope and courage and boldness as they face uh, what others will say to them and about them as they desire to live a biblical life as a woman. So, Father, help us tonight. Uh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first point is older women are to be reverent. Verses 3 and 4. Older women... Likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Older women. Older in the sense of women older than 49. (laughs) Not older in the sense that 20 years older than 18. Paul just uses a Greek word that refers to an age range of 50 to 60 years old, generally not legalistically, and from 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10, we know that Paul would include women older than 60 as well. Now, this doesn't mean that a 30-year-old woman should not or cannot instruct and counsel a 20-year-old woman, but it does mean that a 20-year-old is not qualified to instruct an 18-year-old in the particular things that Paul has in mind here. The 20-year-old may be godly but her life experience hasn't qualified her in these particular areas. So Paul's describing an older woman with years of experience in marriage, raising children, living a godly sensible life. She's a reading sinner, so she's made mistakes and she's learned from them. She has experienced life's joys and sorrows. She has fallen at times. But in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, she's gotten back up and gone down the road. And now she has maturity and wisdom because of her life experience and her faith in Jesus Christ. She is what Deborah in Judges 5, verse 7, calls a mother in Israel. And that little phrase conveys the idea of an older woman who's lived through life's difficulties and now has wisdom and backbone. And her mature mother heart extends out beyond her family to care deeply for her people. She holds the fabric of society together by her wise words and her steady example. The mother in Israel, a reverent older woman. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Well, what is reverent behavior? Is it how a woman behaves in church? Like this, maybe? What do you think? Well, it does include her behavior in church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and 40. But reverent behavior actually takes in every aspect of a woman's life, how she behaves as well as how she presents herself to the world. And she's reverent because she is sacred, meaning she belongs to Jesus Christ and he has set her apart for his special use, and he is continuing to set her apart from her sin. But Paul does have some particular qualities of reverent behavior in mind. He writes, likewise. In other words, reverent behavior like the older men. And he just described that behavior in verse 2 as temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. She's a solid, God-fearing, gospel-believing woman. So instead of repeating himself in verse 3, he just summarizes those six characteristics by saying reverent in behavior. And then Paul adds two examples of irreverent behavior as a helpful contrast like he often does. Not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine. A malicious gossip spreads lies and false accusations. She slanders people just like Satan does because that's his name, the accuser. She is busy tearing others down. She defiles others with bitterness and hatred. She destroys reputations and friendships and marriages and even churches. Yes, it can get that serious. She is directly violating what the ninth commandment clearly requires of her. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Could God be any clearer than that? And she's failing to obey the direct command of Jesus Christ to love her brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way that he has already loved her. And those looking on her life would be right to conclude that even though she professes faith, she is not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why? Because she does not follow his teachings. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Too much wine sets the inner depraved heart loose to express itself. The drunk woman says things and does things that she would never say or do when sober she sacrifices everything of value in life for just another drink. She's worshiping her belly, not Jesus Christ, Philippians three eighteen and 19. So the malicious gossip and the drunkard will not be teaching good things. But the reverent older woman, the mother in Israel is intent on teaching good things, teaching what is sensible and good and healthy and life-giving. And her teaching is based on the Word of God and it upholds the Word of God. Next, older women are to instruct. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, teaching what is good so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility. So, this instruction in sensibility is the center focus of Titus 2, verses 2 through 8. It's the focus of the older men's instruction as well. Now, I'm using the LSB Bible, and it uses the word instruct here to describe what Paul is commanding these older women to be busy about. But other translations say teach or train but also urge and admonish. So at times, there is a sense of urgency in this instruction. Instruct in sensibility. Those three English words together are translating one Greek word, which conveys the action of instructing, as well as the content of the instruction. Sensibility here. And some ancient Greeks used that word to describe the activity of bringing someone back to their senses, helping them to wake up to what they're doing or to what's going on. The older women are to instruct the young women in sensibility, meaning in right thinking, in sound, healthy thinking, in sober-mindedness, leading to self-control, and to moderation that are a characteristic of a woman who lives according to the Word of God and not according to Greek philosophy or feminist philosophy or any philosophy of man. About 25 years ago, I met a man um, who shared with me one way older women in his church in Visalia lived out this kind of Titus II activity in real life. And so these older women, their children were grown, and so they had time and opportunity to volunteer to come to the aid of young mothers in crisis at a moment's notice at any time of the day or night. When needed, these older women would come even in the early morning hours to help a young mother who was overwhelmed or who had just given birth or who was out of control and didn't know how to regain control of her life. They would help her even get out of bed and prepare for the day. They would teach her how to feed her children nutritious food and how to discipline them. They would come to just give her a break or to watch the children when she had to take another of them to the doctor. They would teach her how to live with and love her man. They would take her to the doctor to help identify if her problems were medical in nature, and if there were issues of sin, then they would help begin a process of confronting that sin in concert with the elders of the church. The ministry of mother nurture in the church, offered for free, available at any time of the day or night. Social workers and psychologists simply cannot provide that quality and quantity of motherly nurture. So this ministry of mother nourishment from older women in the church is what Paul is pointing to here when he commands Titus to speak sound doctrine into the church by exhorting older women to instruct the young women. Men simply cannot provide this kind of counsel. Only an older woman will have the wisdom and the experience to deal with sensitive and intimate feminine matters and to help a young woman in her particular difficulties to rise up and and love her husband and love her children and be chaste and keep her at home and be subject to her husband. This is not relegating older women to teaching secondary, unimportant minor league matters. Not at all. This is older women speaking sound doctrine into the church by applying the Word of God into reality, into the lives of real people, into real marriages with real children, facing difficulties in living real life at home, in the very place where this instruction and counsel is needed and matters the very most. And it doesn't take a faith-based 501c3 corporation offering professional mothering services by certified and licensed mothers who have a degree in mothering to make this happen effectively and powerfully. No, this is mothers in Israel actively giving expression to their mother hearts, their wise and knowing mother hearts, reaching out to young women. And this help and counsel is critical and it cannot be replaced or even duplicated by government services. So, young women, I pray that you are open to this kind of instruction, that when you have a need that you will cry out for help because there are women who will help you. And it, But as gentle and as careful as they may be, at times their instruction cannot help but be convicting and may be painful as they instruct you in sensibility, in right thinking, and call you to change your thinking. Just know that they've had to do the same in their own lives. They know what you face, and they've struggled through some of the same things. The next point is that young women are to be sensible. Verses 4 and 5. Instruct the young women in sensibility, colon, and here's what he means by that. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. Instruct the young women. Who does Paul have in mind here? Here. Well, young married women, actually, who have husbands and children, generally ranging in age from late teens into their 30s, living in that period of life that's dominated by raising children. And likely, he especially has in mind the newly married and the new mothers. And think of Paul. He knows young women like this from Judea all the way across to Italy. This is his fatherly concern coming out here. Now, of course, you young women are not married, but Paul has you in mind as well, because today is the day to get ready, to be prepared, to be considering and thinking about these things. Prepare for the realities of marriage and children, but understand that as you patiently wait, your chaste lives, lived in the fear of God, help to bring. Stability and health into the church. Yes, you single godly young women have a positive impact on the church. Instruct young women to love their husbands. Now, do you lady, young ladies think that you're actually going to need help with, or instruction to love your husband? <laughs> well, you will. And this instruction will include how to love your husband and knowing how is important. But what he's saying here is instruction to love your husband, to do it, to love him when you might not feel like loving him or when children take up all of your time and energy and you can't hardly think of him or when you receive more emotional affirmation from your girlfriends or whatever. But do it. Love him. He needs you to love him. Your marriage vows obligate you to love him, and God commands you to love him. And here, this Greek word combines the word friend with the word men. And and friends, uh, they share a warm affection and a regard for each other around some kind of shared interest, and they enjoy being together. So Paul has in mind here the warm, affectionate love of companionship with a man, enjoying him because he is a man and you're a woman, and even more because he's your man, your husband. You share life and children together around a shared covenant commitment to each other. And you will need instruction on how to love your man simply because he is a man and you're a woman. You won't, he won't understand you like your women friends do and he won't respond to you like they do. And reverent older women have lived with their man for many years and will be able to help you understand this man. (laughs) But if you despise and mistrust men, all men, how in the world will you be able to love your man? You won't appreciate his companionship much less his efforts to be a man if you think he's toxic simply because he is a man. You will despise him instead of respecting him as the word of God commands you in Ephesians 5:33. And if you despise all men in general and think that all men are toxic, how in the world will you love Jesus Christ? who is the most masculine, manly man who's ever lived. To love him requires that you subject yourself to him. So reject feminism's hatred of men. Reject it. And if a man has harmed you, don't hate all men because of him. Instead, seek help. Our church can help you lovingly. Instruct young young women to love their children. So here again, the word friend combined with the word children. So do you think you'll actually need help or instruction on how to love your kids or that you would even love them to begin with? Well, you will. At times, you will. Instruction to love them, to do it as well as how to do it. So, do you love children now? Do you desire to have children? If you don't, you probably aren't thinking sensibly. You may need to repent and change your mind about that. Young women must first love children so that they can love their children, Loving to be around them, loving the experience of having them, loving to watch them grow, loving to teach them sensible thinking, which is what mothers do day in and day out. 1 Timothy 5 verse 10, calls young, Paul calls young widows to bear children. And that phrase, bear children, means the entire range of life with children that begins at conception, uh, progresses through pregnancy and birth and nursing and on through protecting and nurturing and educating and feeding and clothing them all the way to raising them up to be productive adults so to bear children is also to obey God's command to you to be fruitful and multiply and this work of bearing children is necessary for human flourishing it's necessary and women do bear the, most of the heavy living lifting in that task And it requires self-denial and sacrifice on the part of women uh, that uh, we men often don't even realize or comprehend. More than 100 years ago, G.K. Chesterton wrote this in defense of the biblical family. "The The business done in the daily life of the home is nothing less than the shaping of the bodies and the souls of humanity. The family is the factory that manufactures mankind. The business done in the daily life of the home is nothing less than the shaping of the bodies and the souls of humanity. So for a woman to bear children and then raise them to maturity is nothing less and often far more than the shaping of the bodies and the souls of the humanity that God has placed in her hands to care for. What could be more important than that? Mother is in the prime position to teach and model for these children how to love, worship, and obey God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach them to love their neighbors as themselves day by day, teaching them to live in all lowliness and gentleness, bearing with their siblings in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the family in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3. And when those lessons are learned in the home, they extend out then into the church and the wider community to bless others. And this just highlights the critical importance of older women teaching and encouraging young women to love their children. Our culture explicitly rejects that task as a waste of a woman's time and talents and calls it demeaning and drudgery. But mothering children is the most important task a woman can do for the health and the good of humanity. The church has no more than a few hours a week with children. So there is no Sunday school program on earth that can compare to a mother's faithful, prayerful, active engagement in teaching and applying the word of God into the lives of her own children from infancy. And that task is young women loving their children. Instruct young women to be sensible. Again, to think rightly, to be sober-minded. So right thinking leads to right priorities and good decision-making. Right thinking is not swayed by the world, but instead holds fast to the word of God. Right, sensible thinking leads the young woman to refuse the evil and instead to choose the good. Leads her to understand the times she is living in. Gives her insight into the temptations and the seductive philo- philosophies that are flowing in the culture around her and helps her to defeat them and, in fact, to fearlessly tear them down to the ground. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Instruct the young women to be pure. Pure. Pure but here it means sexual purity, which is why some translations use the word chastity, which is sexual purity at all times, married or unmarried. And, of course, chastity within marriage means sexual intimacy only with your husband, First Corinthians 7, verse 2. Chastity requires careful thinking and sensible behavior that recognizes the potential of lighting the fire of sexual desire at the wrong time with the wrong man, intentionally or even unintentionally. So how you behave and how you dress matters right here. Chastity is sexual purity not only in body but also in mind. And sexual purity of the mind, of the thinking, is even more important because our actions are an expression of our thoughts. Jesus said that to entertain lustful thoughts is the same as putting those thoughts into action, Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. And so even the sexual thoughts also must be brought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Now, I I said earlier that reverent behavior takes in every aspect of a woman's life, not only how she behaves, but also how she presents herself to the world. And in 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul actually gives particular instruction to women on how to dress, which basically is this, adorn yourself with good works, not with immodest or ostentatious clothing. So I'd encourage you to sit down with a reverent older woman who is not afraid to speak the truth and carefully work through that with her. What, what does that mean? When, when sexual activity jumps outside of God's moral boundaries, it is destructive instead of life-giving. And you young women actually bear the brunt of the destruction in your mind and in your body. So may that sober you. And if that describes you tonight, if that's been your experience, then understand that Jesus Christ stands with open arms to forgive you and to restore you to purity when you come to him in repentance and faith. Instruct young women to be workers at home. Now, we really need clarity here because Paul is not chaining women to the kitchen sink. Nope. Historically, free women have always had a domestic focus but have never been chained to the kitchen sink. And their wide-ranging contribution to the family life was far too valuable and vital for that. Check it out. Don't believe the feminists. Women have always had a focus at home because they are bearing children and raising them in a safe environment. And they are helping their husbands. That's what they do. And therefore, their income-bearing activity was centered around their home. Again, check it out. So our English translations really don't convey the whole meaning of The words that Paul's using here Uh, in the Greek, uh, workers at home or homemaker or keeper at home, as it's translated here in Titus 2.5, literally is housekeeper, which actually means house guardian. To keep means to guard. So Paul is urging older women to instruct young women to actively guard her children, and her home and its affairs and its resources with prudence and care and sensible thinking. So this is not maid service that he's talking about here. It is active and careful protection of the very core of human society, the family in its home. And when Paul instructs young widows to marry and to bear children and manage the house in First Timothy 5, verses 14 he uses a Greek word that means to be a house despot, a house dictator, who authoritatively rules over the affairs of the house. Does that describe your mom? (laughs) Nobody's laughing about that, but your mom's not here, so you can laugh. Uh, For almost all of history, households were actually small business enterprises as part of what a family was. So when Paul instructs young women or widows to manage the house, he is encouraging them to exercise real authority in their home. Not over their husbands, of course, but over the children, over the servants, over the vendors, and the productive economic activities that are going on in the home. This is not janitorial service. It's active and authoritative management at the center of human society, the family in its home. Instruct the young women to be kind. Kind to her husband, part of loving him. <laughs> kind to the children. Kind to her in-laws. Kind to everybody. Good-natured, instead of being malicious and mean. Proverbs 31.26 says that virtuous woman... Uh, on her tongue is the law of kindness. And she really does need to be kind as she is authoritatively managing the house. Instruct the young women to be subject to their husbands. Now, in our day, that's probably about the most offensive thing that I could say. maybe the most offensive thing that Paul wrote. And it may be hard for some of you to hear, and it's hard for me to say it because if if it offends you, I don't want to offend you, but you and I must be faithful to the Word of God. We must. But hear this. Paul uses a Greek word here that means a voluntary submission offered in an orderly way. A voluntary submission, not coerced, and an orderly submission, not offered begrudgingly or with throwing a fit. A wife then is to voluntarily offer this orderly submission to her husband. She's not submitting to all men. She's not submitting to all husbands, just to her husband, who is the one that she possesses as her very own. And, of course, now, in trying to live out a biblical marriage, she depends on him to act like a man and provide for her and protect her and to love her and to take an interest in their children. And, in short, she depends on him to lay his own life down for her and to consider her as very precious. And so this highlights, then, the importance of choosing a man who fears the Lord, who exhibits a godly character, whose manner of life is pointed toward godliness. That might mean he's not the most handsome or charming man in the world. And this also highlights the necessity of being in a strong biblical church led by men who have the strength and the courage to disciple and discipline men who are abusive or wayward. But Paul does mean what he wrote. In Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24, he writes this, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Yes, yes. Everything. who? But you are not to submit to, agree with, or, or participate in sin. Never. But if you won't submit to your husband, how in the world will you submit to Jesus Christ? But absolutely share your thoughts and your opinions on everything with your husband. He needs your input. You are his helper, but respect and follow his leadership. If he's a godly man, if he loves you, he will want your thoughts and opinions. He won't want to make any decision without taking you into consideration. You might have wisdom that he hasn't thought about. He needs you. But be aware that God rebuked Adam for listening to and then following his wife's opinion about that forbidden fruit. He failed in his job to protect her right there. Don't undermine him with the children. Don't work against him behind his back. Instead, build him up and be his helper in life. He needs you. You need him. If you tear him down in order to manipulate him, or control him, you will unman him if he allows you to do that and you will not respect the effeminate man that he becomes. So Paul's command here works very well in real life in a marriage, it does, where husband and wife honor each other for the role that they play together and they're working together in a way that one plus one actually begins to equal four. Instruct the young women in sensibility so that the word of God will not be slandered. Now in Paul's day, Roman culture would have largely agreed with him on the virtue of the seven aspects of sensible living for young women that he wrote here. So these sobering words show the negative and the public impact that living in opposition to the word of God would have on those looking on the life of young women. God's Word is slandered. It's falsely accused of being an error, and it's reviled by the actions, and the behavior of a young woman. But on the flip side then, the Word of God will be honored and recognized for its wisdom when young women live sensible, reverent lives in obedience to the Word of God. In closing, Proverbs 31. Women have a a feminine efficacy, meaning a power and a capacity to produce an effect through their femininity. Godly women living in the fear of God produce a good and godly effect through their female nature through their capacity as mothers of the living, as nurturers of human life, and as wise helpers. So women bring power to the table when they live uniquely as women, doing what only women can do in the way that women do it. Not as a genderless person, not as a sexless person, not in competition with men, not at war with men, but distinctly as a woman alongside of Men who need them to exercise their feminine efficacy. And of course, this shines out very clearly when women bear children and then raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, Proverbs 31 maybe can be intimidating to you. Maybe like sitting and listening to Chad speak about the qualifications to be an elder, it's convicting. And examining. And um, when you look at what that woman did, uh, mothers who are nursing and raising little children realize that they just don't have much time and energy for any of that. And that's okay. It is okay for young mothers to feel that way and to just let a lot of that go. Mothers are engaged in the most important good works on the face of the earth. They're shaping the bodies and the souls of humanity. This is their primary mission field, and they must tend to it and not feel guilty for not being able to do much else. But actually, Proverbs 31 is looking back on the well-lived life of an older woman so there's ripe fruit that's it's, it's, it's in view, that's being enjoyed, but that fruit began as a bud on a branch, you, you might could say, in the springtime of this woman's life. And then it blossomed out into flower uh, and yielded fruit in the summer. And then that fruit ripened, ripened to maturity over the course of time. She wasn't able to do all that when she had babies and toddlers, and children. But she was learning and doing what she could. And even now, in her older years, if you notice, she has help. She isn't doing all this by herself. So when Paul instructs young women to manage the house and be house guardians, I believe that he has the Proverbs 31 woman, woman in mind when he's saying that. Because that virtuous woman is actively guarding and authoritatively managing her house. But she's not a feminist. She's not at war with her husband. In fact, she loves him. Well, how do we know that? Because it says that she does him good all the days of his life, of her life, Proverbs 31, 32. And her husband, he has no interest in in micromanaging her. He has his own sphere of work to hold up and she is very capable of exercising authority over their home. In fact, it says he implicitly trusts her. Proverbs 31.11 She does not eat the bread of idleness. She doesn't waste the day away on social media or entertainment. Proverbs 31.27 Instead, she is busy with productive work. She labors and therefore, she has enough to share with those who don't have anything. Proverbs 31.20 and Ephesians 4.28. And unlike her husband, who is usually focused on doing one major economic activity, she enjoys the freedom to be busy stirring many pots. Proverbs 31.13, 14, 16, 19, 22, and 24. And in that, she provides employment to young unmarried women in her village, Proverbs 31.15. She has born children and loved them, and now they are rising up to praise her, Proverbs 31.28. And she is busy instructing young women in sensibility, Proverbs 31.26. Now, Proverbs 31 does describe an agricultural society, and ours is not that. Used to be, but no more. And there have been four major movements and revolutions in the past two hundred years or so that have dramatically changed how life is lived for everyone. Some to the positive and much to the negative. And so living productive life looks far different for us, and we're still struggling to understand how to do that, actually. But Proverbs thirty one is not a box. It's not demanding that you engage in agricultural life. It's more like a window, and the writer's drawing a curtain aside so that you can see through that window and get a peek into the wide open field of possibilities of fruitful activity. So, the message of Proverbs 31 is not that all women ought to be or are even capable of doing all of those activities. All the time. Instead, it's really showing that the domestic sphere is very broad and there is scope for the different talents that God has given each woman to be productive in her own way according to her own talents and abilities. But the point would be that her priorities are in her home her husband and to her children and everything she's is doing is building up their family let's pray together father i thank you that your word is very sufficient for us and i thank you that paul's loving fatherly heart here is coming down even to us to our day and that this sound doctrine is very clear and plain still preserved in your word so help these young women here to embrace it to seek it uh, and to be open to the instruction and sensibility of the older women and I pray that you would bless them and give them hope and courage in the name of Jesus Christ Amen. thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry we would love for you to join us in person soon For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.